Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo, and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet, or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost, or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key. And that's why we are here to help. Every week, we're bringing you the top health, wellness, and fitness experts, along with a lot of really amazing everyday people. And it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. So today we're talking about all things carbs. We're going to clear up some carb confusion. I'm going to try not to say that fast three times. I'm joined by two fantastic guests, Dr. Rekha Kumar with Whale Cornell Medical Center, New York Presbyterian. Is that the full name? Basically. Did I get it? Yes. It was a lot to remember. (laughs) Dr. Kumar, thanks for being here. You're an endocrinologist. And my friend, Maya Feller, fabulous nutritionist, all things food and nutrition. So we're going to get to the bottom of this carb confusion. Okay. Um, So first of all, let's talk about the perception. Because the perception is if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to stay in shape, you have to eat as few carbs as possible. A lot of people believe in this low-carb philosophy. Maya, is that the secret to staying fit? (laughs) That's not at all the secret to staying fit. You're absolutely right. So many people believe that they have to take the carbs out of their diet completely. And actually, you do need some carbohydrates. It's a question of the type of carbohydrate, if you're pairing it, and the portion size that you're having. You know, you can't take it all out. You say if you're pairing it, what do you mean by that? So when I'm working with folks, I like to say, you know, are you going to have that piece of bread with a fat or a protein? And that's going to slow that carbohydrate down, help to keep them satiated so they're not looking for food shortly thereafter. But especially as we age, can you really be eating, you know, a bagel for breakfast? Do you take the bread basket at dinner? Can you live like that? Is that realistic? I think it's easy because it's what's accessible, but I think people likely will gain weight and develop blood sugar problems as time goes on if that's the only thing they're eating and in that pattern. So the way we handle carbohydrates changes uh, as we progress through life. So we become more resistant to the hormone insulin. Our blood sugar spikes more easily. So maybe you could eat a bagel when you were 18, but potentially not at 35. So there are legitimate changes that are taking place in the body as we age. Agree, yeah. Okay, well, tell me about that. I didn't know that. Yeah, sure. So I just uh, thought Father Time was very mean. <laughs> as you get older, everything starts to suck. <laughs> right. So in order for us to probably maintain the same weight at you know, 25 and 55 and 75, over time, we'd probably have to eat less and exercise more. And the reason for that is our, our metabolism slows down because we lose muscle naturally. So the thing that determines how quickly you burn calories or um, how fast your metabolism is at rest is how much lean muscle you have. And if you don't do anything to maintain your lean muscle, it naturally declines over time. So that's one of the changes with aging is um, muscle decline. The other is that uh, for other reasons, you become more resistant to the hormone insulin. So you don't handle carbohydrates as well. So your sugar spikes more quickly. Um, As women go through menopause and their estrogen levels fall, their levels of growth hormone and testosterone change, um, you handle nutrients differently. So it sounds like you do have to scale back on the carbs a little as you're aging just to maintain your weight. Absolutely. I agree. I think you have to scale back a bit on calories and carbohydrates if weight is your concern. I, I think some natural increase in body weight is acceptable if you start out at a low body weight or a normal body weight. The thing in 
our environment is that it's it's so excessive, right? Carbohydrates are uh, easily accessible. We're sedentary. So all of these changes are very exaggerated. So something that typically should lead to mild changes over our life really you know, lead to obesity at, at an age where you develop medical problems from it. So then you you can find a way to work it into your diet. But when we're talking about what that means, you, you say a palm-sized serving of carbohydrates. But back to basics, what does that mean? Is that vegetables? Is that a palm-sized serving of fruit? Or are we talking about starchy grains and pasta, bread, that kind of thing? Right. So to get specific, I would say that we're looking at a palm-sized serving of either greens, beans, or starchy vegetables. And just to you know tease that out, the starchy vegetables are your peas, your potatoes, your winter squash, also some of the pumpkins and things like that. Those are the starchy vegetables. So when, let's say you have a lunch, you have a base of dark leafy greens, and I say go for two palmfuls of that, right? And then you're going to have something like quinoa and corn. So then you're going to split your palm in half, and you're going to have half a palm of quinoa and half a palm of corn. And then I'm going to say, okay, let's look for your protein. What if you're a vegetarian? Now it's going to get really complicated, right? But that's fine. We're just going to say increase the non-starchy vegetables to three palmfuls and leave that quinoa and corn as that one palmful. So I want to talk about the keto diet because you, you just said, well, if you eat all your servings of carbs for breakfast, then the rest of the day you're left with just fat and protein, and that's not realistic. Well, a lot of people right now are doing the keto diet. It's very popular. And that is essentially just fat and protein. So we did a story on this on Good Morning America a while back, and I was thinking, well, this sounds a lot like Atkins. It is a lot like Atkins, but with a smaller percentage of protein. You're really eating like 70 to 75 percent fat and about 10 percent of your diet from carbs. Why is that a bad thing? So that diet was originally formulated for people who have epilepsy, and that is actually a model of care that requires you know, medical supervision and a question of whether or not you need to take additional supplements. So when people are engaging in a ketogenic diet for weight loss, the research says we don't know how long they should or should not be on it. It actually says some months, which could be two months or three months. We know that there will be rapid weight loss. Yes, they're changing the macronutrients around. They're having a very high-fat diet, low-carbohydrate, and low-protein, right? So, yes, they're losing weight, but is it sustainable in the long run? We also don't know for someone who does not have epilepsy, there's not sufficient research to say what is the long-term effect with regard to their health. So, I mean, but we hear a lot. I mean, I feel like the food pyramid changes over time, right? I feel like it looked different when I was a kid than it does today, and it'll probably look different in 20 years. So when I was growing up, I remember hearing that fat was bad, fat was bad, fat was bad. You want to get a lot of bread and pasta and rice. And now it seems like that's shifting a little bit. So so where are we with that now? I definitely agree with you. I think a lot has shifted since the 90s, since the um, kind of low-fat, high-carb craze. And I think it has a lot to do with the diabetes and obesity epidemic. And a lot of people, I think, and a lot of science is showing that the high-sugar, high-added sugar, high-carb plus high-fat diet likely contributed to the obesity epidemic. On the flip side of that is that we do need carbohydrates as our fundamental source of energy. And our brain relies on glucose, which is the breakdown product of carbohydrates. So there's likely some healthy type and amount of carbohydrates that we should be consuming for long-term weight control. But when you look at studies of very low-carbohydrate diets and ketogenic diets, short-term weight loss is good. And it looks better than low-fat diets, calorie-restricted diets. 
part of the reason for that is, yes, you're changing macronutrient con- you know, composition, but you're also losing a lot of water. When you essentially stop eating carbohydrates and rely on burning fat as fuel, which is what the ketogenic diet is, you deplete your glycogen stores in your muscle and your liver. So glycogen is how we store carbohydrates. So normally when we're not eating, when our blood sugar drops, we can use our glycogen stores in our muscle, in our liver. When we use up glycogen, we lose a lot of water. And so when you go on a ketogenic diet or a very low-carbohydrate diet, that initial rapid weight loss is, is a lot of glycogen and is a lot of water weight. It isn't necessarily fat. So when you look at long-term weight loss, very low-carbohydrate diets and ketogenic diets might not necessarily be better. Do we know? Do we know the answer to that? <laughs> no, not really. So it, it could be, right? We just don't know. Well, the research hasn't been done. I think right now it, it looks essentially equivocal if you you know look at all of the meta-analyses and kind of pooled data of long-term. You know, you look six months out, low-carb looks better than low-fat. But at the 12 month mark, um, they look pretty similar. But there's this issue with carbs. There was a really interesting article in the New York Times recently about being a carboholic and the idea that once you eat a little bit, it has a reaction in your body that makes you just want to gorge yourself. And that, as far as I know, is not a problem a lot of people have with fats, right? Nobody wants to drink olive oil when they've had just a little bit. Can, can we talk about that property of carbs? Because a lot of people have that experience. You try to have one bite and you just can't stop. Right. Why? So that's really interesting. I think it's probably uh, two things. I think it's partially related to this vicious cycle of insulin resistance. And we all have varying levels or degrees of insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance. Um, In our environment, we tend towards insulin resistance because we're not very active. We have less muscle. We eat a lot of processed carbohydrates. And so what happens is our blood sugar goes up, our insulin goes up, and over time, we don't respond as well to insulin. So you need more and more insulin. It's like a drug. You exactly. need more to get the same So high. then what happens is that your body, you're functioning at a higher insulin level. Your body's looking for carbohydrates to use, so you're essentially craving them. So it's almost like eating sugar or carbohydrates could stimulate cravings for more sugar and carbohydrates. So that's, that's the insulin side of the story. So then what do you do? What's the answer? If eating, is, if eating it is going to make you crave more of it, and you're trying to be reasonable in your portion sizes, <laughs> how do you get to catch-22? You have to work with people to actually reframe that diet and that relationship to the carbohydrate. And that's when I say to a patient, okay, let's look at the quantity of carbohydrate that you're having, how regularly it's coming into your body, and whether or not you're pairing it with something, right? Because if someone's eating high levels of carbohydrate and they continue to have that craving and get into that cycle, they're going to want more more, more and more. So the question is, how do we educate them to understand that some of this is craving and some of this is your body, you know, kind of telling you that it wants more? What about the idea of abstinence? I mean, you can't abstain from all carbohydrates because first of all, you die, right? And, and Right? Wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. If you abstain okay. from all carbohydrates, that would not be a good right. thing. So you, so you can't get it down to nothing. But you could get it all from, say, fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, so 
what about the idea of abstinence? For some people, is that a smart strategy where you're just not eating things that are going to trigger the desire for more carbs? I think it really depends on the person, right? And if you look at like the theories of cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, you work with people kind of to meet them where they are, right? And you have to kind of take into consideration their whole life, right? What's happening in their day-to-day, their work, their family, before you say, look, I'm going to take away this trigger food from you because that might be even more of a trigger. So it's like you want to work with the patient and figure out, okay, well, can we reduce it? You know what I mean? Can we change it? Can we do a substitution? Can we look at something else rather than completely taking it away? And for some people, abstinence is absolutely fantastic. But then the question is, is it sustainable? And there's the option of using medicine. So now that we have identified, you know, potentially two hormone or neurotransmitter pathways, we're saying insulin is an issue, dopamine, the dopamine rewards pathway might be an issue. In our practice, we do use medicines uh, to treat these things, to treat cravings, to treat insulin resistance. So when behavioral intervention on its own isn't sufficient, there's the option of using medicine. So what kind of medicines are you using for that? So we can use the medicine metformin, which is a uh, FDA approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. It is an insulin sensitizer, so it treats insulin resistance, which we're saying is the underlying cause of these cravings. And so it's considered off-label use, but we do prescribe metformin to treat carbohydrate cravings and kind of sugar addictions. And it helps with weight management. It helps with weight management. Uh, It helps people adhere to low-carbohydrate diets because it, over time, lowers the insulin level. So that desire to eat carbs Uh, can be less. And if you pair metformin with a lower carbohydrate diet, patients can do better. Now, let's say you go on a low carb diet, you know, you do it, you get to a place where you're happy with your weight, you want to transition to something a little more sustainable. Is your body now more sensitive to carbs? Once you eat that donut, are you now going to just three pounds just going to hop onto your hips? Our our (laughs) patients will say that. And and I don't think it's necessarily three pounds of fat that's hopping onto your hips. I think it's that water you're storing. I think if you're ketogenic or very low carb for weeks and weeks and then you kind of splurge, you might notice this in, this rapid increase in weight. And I think part of that is due to the water weight that you're storing. So what's, you know, a lot of this we're talking about seems it's, it's more for people on the extremes, right? So abstinence, most right. people are not going to do that. Taking a prescription medicine to treat sugar cravings, most people don't feel that that's necessary for them. So let's kind of talk about everyone in the middle, right? What, what's practical for most people and sustainable and is going to keep us from being happy and not too cranky? So the first question is about eating carbs in the morning. I feel like there's this debate between, you know, you never eat carbs after six or you get them out of the way early in the morning so you have the rest of the day to burn that off. When are you supposed to eat your carbs? What's the optimal time? So from my perspective, um, and this is anecdotal, there is no optimal time to eat carbs. I've read studies that say, you know, people do better eating carbs in the afternoon. And I read studies that say people do better having their carbs in the morning. I really always think there's an individualized approach, right? Meeting that person where they are. And I really, really think we have to encourage people to pay attention to their portion size as well as the type of carbohydrate. We know in this country that people have this propensity toward eating tons of added sugars. I mean, we're eating way too much added sugar. You just get used to it. Then you expect everything to be sweet. Exactly. And so if we can even get people in the morning to move away from a sugar-flavored oatmeal to a plain oatmeal where they add a small amount of fruit, then we're already starting on the right foot. And so, so do you think there's any wisdom to the idea of having like a carb cutoff time? 
Um, a lot of people say like after 6 p.m., after 7 p.m., because then it's when you're sleeping, your body doesn't process it right. I mean, is, is there any science to support that? I think it's very person dependent and what their medical conditions might be. Of course, someone with you know, diabetes, which is a big portion of our population now, we probably wouldn't suggest not eating carbs in the second half of the day because their blood sugar could drop overnight. So I think it depends on what um, a person or a patient is doing in our practice, which is focused on weight control. We tend to emphasize more protein earlier in the day because protein leads to more fullness. And, you know, we emphasize low glycemic index diet. So they're a version of a low carbohydrate diet, but they're not no carb. They're not ketogenic. They're not, you know, we're not telling them to abstain from carbohydrates, but it's something in between. And I think eating the right carbohydrates, not added sugars, not high fructose corn syrup. Let's talk about that. What are the right carbs? What are the the healthiest carbs? I'm guessing it's not the bagel. No, it's definitely (laughs) not the bagel. The healthiest, I know, too bad. (laughs) The healthiest carb from my perspective, and of course, you know, this is not taking into consideration any kind of medical condition, is really coming from a plant-based source, Right. I love non-starchy vegetables. I think everyone could eat probably two or three more servings per day, right? It's gonna. It's just a thing that I love. Um, another type of carbohydrate that I really enjoy for people are unrefined carbohydrates, right, coming from whole grain sources. I also really like starchy vegetables as the carbohydrate. So let's say someone does not want to have rice. Well, then I say go for a starchy vegetable or a legume, right, because those are the types of carbohydrates. They're going to be filled with fiber, and they tend to last a little bit longer in comparison to refined carbohydrates. Uh, What about carb cycling? So this is um, something that I hear people doing where they'll be extremely low carb for a couple of days, and then they'll have a couple of days where they – boost their carb intake. The idea being that then your body doesn't panic. It doesn't panic at the prospect of not having enough carbs. Is there science behind that? Yeah, I think it's it's almost considered like a version of intermittent fasting where, you know, maybe two or three days a week, you're more restrictive and then the other days you're more balanced. And I think that the issue there is just adherence. Some people find it easier to to do something more restrictive for just a few days a week. And that's more manageable for them. So I think it depends on the person. What do you think? I I would have to agree that I really do think it depends on the person. I always think it's a question of adherence, right? So if you're able to kind of cycle and then the day where you're off this cycle is one that is moderate as opposed to excessive, then I think that it could be something that could work for someone. When we talk about the idea of carbs triggering um, carb cravings, so a lot of people will reduce their carbs in order to stay in a place where they you know, feel um, that they're not having those cravings. But when we talk about those diets, people will say, and I hear this all the time, it's unsustainable. Right. Why? It's unsustainable because it's extremes. And every time you swing that pendulum from one extreme to the other, you're not actually listening to your internal hunger and satiety cues. You're constantly overriding and you're going from feast to famine, feast to famine. It's really hard to kind of live in that uh wide range as opposed to saying, let me find some balance down the middle and then really get to know your body. Listen to, oh, I've had enough. I feel full. Oh, this is very sweet, right? This is saying, have none, have some. Have none, have some. It's it's a lot to manage. But in terms of kind of re- redefining what is an acceptable amount of carbs, you know, when people, uh, I was talking to people for the story that we did on keto, telling me they have like 9% of their diet on carbs. That sounds crazy, but should we be redefining the percentage of our diet that's coming from that? Right now it's what? What are the recommendations for the the daily percentage from carbs? It's variable. So I think it goes back kind of to like an energy 
balanced state of of even calories of are you you know burning more than you're taking in or is that equal and i don't think it's the same for every person i think an elite athlete will need more carbohydrates than um someone completely sedentary and i think it's going to probably vary by age it's going to vary by lifestyle and there's probably not a set percentage or amount of calories that necessarily should come from carbohydrates. I absolutely agree with that 100%. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that we have in this country right now, is that people are looking for those magic numbers while living in this fast food nation. You know, the typical Western diet is riddled with the worst type of carbs, the worst type of saturated fat, and the worst type of added sugar. And so when we say to someone, you really have to get to know you, that's when you need to go see your doctor, go meet with your dietitian, have a sit down and figure out what is your normal? Where should you be? Yeah, I love the idea of it being individualized, mm-hmm. which is something that both of you have stressed, you know, and, and I'm sure that's what you see over and over again in, in your work. I don't believe in one-size-fits-all diets. That's right. They never Absolutely. fit everyone. Um, should you be eating carbs before you work out? Is that the best fuel before you exercise? It depends on if you're an elite athlete, if how hard your training is going to be. So my know. carb loading before a spin class, it's not effective. <laughs> the three pancakes before the spin class is you not can do a good it. it's idea. Not, it's not necessary. <laughs> Is it counterproductive? (laughs) You know what I always tell my patients? I say, we have to think about the behavior that promotes maintenance, weight gain, or weight loss. (laughs) But on a much smaller scale. I mean, I know athletes will eat, like, literally, like, before marathon, like, a loaf of bread. Right. Um, But is that the food group you should be going to? I mean, should you be trying to get, like, a little cracker or a... Or is it? Does it not matter? Both of you are looking at me like it does not matter. Well, I think it. De- I also think it depends on where you're working out in your day, right? So, is it in the morning? Is it the midday? Like, what have you eaten before? Are you going in in a fasting state? I mean, for people that come to see me who are just like regular working out people, you know, five times a week or or less, maybe they're going to want to have like a little bit of a banana, half a banana with a little bit of peanut butter, not too much fat. Don't want to give them GI upset. Something like that, right? But I love that you what you keep doing, which is like you're you're educated on this. This is your field. When you talk about carbs, you're talking about carbs, like you said, a banana. Right. When I think about carbs, all I think about is like pasta and oatmeal and yeah. bread. But it, the world is so much bigger than that. Absolutely. And some of them are really fun and friendly and, and healthy, right? <laughs> and naturally, <laughs> they're not all evil, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly right. You know what? I wish that I could stand from the rooftops and yell out, "Not all carbs are evil. You just have to figure out the right ones." <laughs> <laughs> that, I think, is going to be our promotional quote for this episode. Now is, now, is that the final thought? Not all carbs are evil? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that you have to cut out all carbohydrates from your diet. Yeah. Not our, all carbs are equal either. That's right. So uh, 100 calories from a donut is different than, you know, 100 calories from a sweet potato. Say it again. I've always wondered about that because I, I, again, I grew up in a world where it was calories in, calories out. It's a numbers game. So why isn't 100 calories of donut equal to 100 calories of sweet potato? 100 calories of sweet potato is going to give you vitamin A. You're going to get fiber. You're going to get potassium. 100 calories from a donut is going to give you added sugar, refined carbohydrates, where they have put the vitamins and minerals back in. So it's probably going to give you a surge in insulin, make you sleepy and then potentially have cravings within an hour or two. So the effect on your body will be different. All right, so you want to go for the non-evil carbs. <laughs> that is our thought of the day. That's right, our non-evil carbs. Non-evil carbs. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us. This is a topic that I think a lot of people have questions about. Hopefully we've answered some of them. Thanks, guys. 
staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can watch this interview anytime at abcnews.com. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Schiavocampo.